Okay, we're learning Laskos Rafua Shlima for Yael Bashendel Eto. We're learning Daf Tzadi Zayin just to give a recap of where we are. We're talking about someone who's finding tefillin, and the day when you find tefillin, you 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 can save them on Shabbos by wearing them. Uh, the idea is if you wear them in a normal way, then it's not considered caring. It's cost one pair, two pairs, but bottom line is you save the tefillin by, by wearing them in. And we've been discussing if you only save old tefillin or new tefillin as well. So the discussion until now had been assuming that the way it works is as follows. Old, uh, the, the, the straps are, are undone, but the, the issue in front of us is, are you guaranteed that they're tefillin or might they really be amulets? So if they're old tefillins, you're able to tell that they still have the impression of the knots and the way that they were as tefillin, so then you could save them. If they're new tefillin, then it's questionable because maybe they're really amulets. So the, the question boils down to, as we said at the end of the top yesterday, whether a person would make a strange thing, but we'd go through all the burden, all the terka, of making an amulet that happened to look like a tefillin, and that, that, that's what we were saying was the machlokas between Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda. Uh, Rabbi Yehuda, who didn't let a person save the new tefillin, we're assuming that the reason he doesn't let you save the new tefillin is because he's concerned that it's an amulet that a person would go through the, the terechah to do it, whereas according to Rabbi Meir, uh, a, person, uh, a person wouldn't go through the terechah, so you can even save new tefillin. That's what we, we ended up yesterday. So now the Gemara says that we have a new way of looking at it. Now the father of Shmuel, the son of Rabbi Yitzchak, brought in a bride. So he says in the bride, so what does the mission mean, old and new tefillin? Old means that they have the straps and they're knotted right now. It doesn't mean that the straps are out and you're able to tell the impression of a knot. Old means that they have the, the, the straps that are not in the right way. Kandoshos and Nutzvillin means that they're not knotted. That they have straps and they're not, not knotted. So new versus old doesn't mean are you able to tell versus maybe it was an amulet. The issue is, is it knotted properly as tefillin right now? And now we could explain as follows. Everybody agrees a person wouldn't trouble himself to make an amulet in the shape of tefillin. So no one's concerned for the amulet. That's not the issue here. Of course they're tefillin. But the issue is that if they're not tied correctly and you can't, you might not, you can't wear them the way they are if they're not tied because the regular way that a person wears tefillin is only when they're tied, right? That's the normal way. So in order for you to, to wear these home, what you're going to have to do is tie them. And the issue is it might be forbidden to tie on Shabbos. There's a malacha called kosher. The malacha of kosher is for making a knot on Shabbos. That's forbidden. So Rabbi Yehuda is saying you can't save the new tefillin, not because they might be amulets. You can't save them because... Because you can't carry them in, wear them in without the knots. That's not considered a normal way of wearing tefillin. And you can't knot them on Shabbos because that's a malach of time. And that's why you can't save them. That's the issue here. So it's not that we're concerned for it being an amulet, but rather if they don't have the knots, you're not, you can't wear it normally. And to make the knots is a problem, a prohibition of tying on Shabbos. So the Gemara says, why don't we make bow knots? And the Gemara, <coughs> the Gemara seems to be assuming that, 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 that a bow knot it shouldn't be considered a type of knot which is forbidden to make on Shabbos, and then uh, you'd be able to wear them in after doing that. So the Gemara says, We learn from here that a bow knot is not good for its fillin. And from the fact that we don't allow the fillin to be knotted and in uh, and, and bows in order to carry them in that way, Rav is saying it must be that it's not kosher for its fillin. And therefore, it's not going to be you're not gonna, even if you made the bow knot, it's still not going to be considered wearing in a normal way because normally tefillin uh, knots would never be made in bows. Abayam, Abay gives a different reason. Really, a bow is good for, for made tefillin shafts. The reason why you can't make the bow, he says elsewhere, Aniva Chira that even a bow is considered a regular knot. So Rebuda holds that the prohibition against making a knot in Shabbos includes even making bow knots. So therefore, if it's usher, it's just as also to make a bow knot as it is to make a regular knot. So it doesn't solve anything by saying make a bow. So now the Gemara challenges a bite. The only reason we don't allow it to tie it is because making a bow is like making regular knots. You're doing malach kosher. We're not for that point. It sounds that 
<coughs> Rabbi Yudah would have allowed this person to make a bow and then wear the tefillin with bow straps had they been had had the halacha been. You could make a, make a bow knot on Shabbos. Rabbi Yudah would have allowed that. These laws about the kesher shel tefillin, meaning it's a real thing that uh, a, a real din levar that the the noy the way that they look nice must face out. So what does that mean? So Rashi explains that the shin that's on the head tefillin has to be from the outside of the box. Tosa says that we're talking about the straps, the dalid and the and the yud have to have to look uh, have to look like that. Anyway, so the Gemara's question is that if there's a halacha moshe misinai that said that you need a knot, so presumably halacha moshe misinai said that it has to be a regular knot, not that it could be a bow knot. So we're challenging this point: Is Rabbi really contending that uh, that that a bow knot would have been good by tefillin? And the only reason Rabbi is not letting it is because Rabbi Yudah holds that a bow is not good for tefillin. Come on, if there's a din that the knot of the tefillin is halacha moshe misinai. So if it's a real halacha, then presumably, for sure, it has to be regular or not. And the Gemara says, no, it's, make the, it's possible to make the dalit and the yud, uh, even with bows, that would look kind of like the regular knots. The Gemara was assuming that if you have to make it in the shape of the dalit and the yud, there's no way that you're going to be able to do that with bow knots. And the Gemara is saying, no, it is theoretically possible, and you would fulfill the din of kasher shal tefillin with bow knots. So to summarize over here, the issue with the new tefillin is, is that they're not new means, that they don't have the knots. So if they don't have the knots, you can't wear them without the knots because that's not wearing tefillin the way tefillin are normally worn. It would be considered like carrying. So the only solution would be to make the knots. If Yehuda doesn't allow making the knots on Shabbos because he holds making even a bow knot is considered to be a violation of a malacha against, against knotting. And the Gemara is saying, but uh, we have a machlokas here, whether or not bow knots in general would have been good for the din of Kesher Shol Tefillin. Uh, that's a machlokas Amaram here. Says the Gemara. Now, just more statements from Rav once we're talking about tefillin. Someone who buys a lot of pairs of tefillin, from someone who's not an expert, meaning he's not known, he's not proven to be an expert. We don't know that the person you're buying it from is necessarily the best person always has kosher tefillin. So what's the din? You have to make sure they're good. Bodik. You have to verify. You have to examine them. So how do you examine? You might examine Shalim Shalihah, two arm tefillin, and one head tefillin. Or two head tefillin, and one arm tefillin. So you have to check three tefillin, and then, as long as, and, right, two of one type and one of the other type. And then, and then we know that now the person who's selling it is considered a mumcha. And then you can buy many more from this person, even without doing any bedikos. Once you do three, you check three, then everything's good. So the Gemara doesn't understand this. Gemara analyzes. Manavshah. However you look at it, it doesn't make sense. If you're buying, if this person is buying it from one person, meaning you're buying it. It, it, you're buying it from a middleman. If the middleman got it from all from one person, so live you should have to look at either three arm tefillin or three head tefillin. Why do you have to look at two of one type and one of the other? If he gets them all from one person, so there should be a chazak, a presumption that uh, all the tefillin are good, even if you just look at three of the same type. And if this guy bought the, all the tefillin from two or three people, then every tefillin in the lodge, you, have to, you should have to require a checking in it because you can never make a chazaka for everything based on what you got. Because if this guy is, is getting his tefillin from many different suppliers, so so what that you check three? How, do, how, is that, how, how is that a proof that necessarily that all of the rest in here are considered good tefillin? Who said they're good tefillin? If he gets all of them from a bunch of different places, so maybe the ones that you checked came from a good source, but the rest of them didn't come from a good source. If you're just going from the middleman, you don't have a proof. So if he gets it, so however you look at it, it's, it's hard to understand. If we know he's getting it all from the same guy, the middleman is getting from the same guy, so why do you have to check some of the head and some of the arm? Just take, just take three from either the hand or the arm. And if, 
he's getting it from different sources, so then even checking three shouldn't, shouldn't suffice because maybe these three came from a good source and the other ones didn't. So the Gemara says, really the case is that the guy bought it all from one person. But we still have to know that this guy is good in both the arm and the head filling. So meaning, even if it all comes from one person, but we want to just make sure that he understands the difference between the arm and the head. So really, you're right. Really, really you're right. We just, you just need to check three. It could, fundamentally, it could be all the same type. But we just want to make sure that he knows the difference between the arm and the head film. There are certain things that are different. So we want to make sure. So therefore, we just, in order to make sure that, that our assumptions are good, we check one from, we check, have to check one from each and a total of three. And then we can make sure that everything is good. But in a Hanami, had, had this middle man been getting from many different sources, then the halacha would be that you're, it's not enough to just check the... Uh, to just check three. You'd have to check each and every one because you can't establish a chazaka based on checking three. Says the Mara'ini is this true of Atani, Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Shmuel taught tefillin when you're being bodek tefillin, bodek shel shel yahab you have to examine three arm and head tefillin. So what does it mean three arm and head? My lab, o shel shel o shel either three arm or three head. So we see that you don't have to check one tefillin from each category. As long as you check three from each type, then all we assume that so far is good with everything. So here we're saying that no, you have to make sure that when you're doing the three, it's two from one type and at least one from the other type. So the Gemara says, low, that's not what Rabbi meant. What he meant to say is, Shalosh, you take a total of three, Mehen Shal Yad, Mehen Shal Rosh. You check a total of three, and at least one of them has to be from the orange villain, and at least one has to be from the head villain. But it means a total of three, not an, 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 and at least one from the head and one from the arm, exactly like we said. So the Gemara asks on Rav, Altani Rav Kahana, Kahana taught on the price of a tefillin, regarding tefillin, Bodik Shalam Shal Rosh, you check two tefillin, one arm, and one head. So Rav said you have to check three, and this price says you could just check two. So new question. So the Gemara says, Hamani Rebbe, that price of Rav Kahana is going like the opinion of Rebbe, who says that in general, Chazaka is established by, after two times. So there's a big machlokas in general what, how to rely on Chazaka. Chazaka is an assumption that are made based, on a, based upon a pattern. So is Chazaka based upon two or based upon three? So in general, it's a machlokas in Masechus Yavamos if it's two or three. So this price where Rav Kahana was assuming Chazaka could be established from two, we're going that Chazaka needs three. That's why we said three. Says the Gemara, if the bride says only Rabbi, e Rabbi, if the rice of Rabkana is based upon Rabbi, in the safe, what about the safe of that bride of Rabkana? You do with another bundle of tefillin. You do with a third bundle of tefillin. So what, is it, what does that mean? In other words, it sounds like here someone is buying a bunch of bundles of tefillin. So you check two tefillin in each of the, the three bundles. So the two checking the two tefillin in each bundle is a good chazaka. Um, for that bundle, so if you had, if there were, if once you know that there were three good bundles, then it has a chazaka for all of them. So the Gemara is saying there's almost a contradiction here, Mineu Bey, because e Rabbi, if we're going like Rabbi, and that's why checking two tefillin from each bundle is good. Shlishi Mi Isla, this Rabbi old is you have to check a third bundle. Meaning, I mean, Manushach, something here sounds sounds a little bit off because if we're saying to establish the validity of each bundle, you only have to check two tefillin from each bundle because two makes a chazaka, then why do you have to check three bundles to know all the rest of the bundles are good? Just check, just check two bundles. So the Gemara answer is mo, that Rav Kahana, really we go like Rebbe, but Mo the Rebbe, Rebbe agrees with Svasim that by bundles, you can't have a good chazaka from one, from one bundle to the other. Because maybe a person gets the bundles from different people, meaning to establish that one bundle is good, you're right, we, could, we have a chazaka. And if you have a chazaka, if you have a chazaka, it would be good with just with just, uh, with just two tefillin checked from each bundle, then you know, from, from the bundle, you know that the whole bundle is good. But you can't establish a chazaka that once you see a couple of bundles are good, all of them are good, because a person gets bundles from different people. So there's no chazaka, there's no assumptions to make that what would the rest of the bundles be just because you see that two are good. 
Okay, so within one bundle itself, if you see that two tefillin are good, so you know the whole bundle is good. But there's no, no such thing. There's no chazaka to establish it all. Forget about how many you need. There is no chazaka to establish it just because a couple bundles are good, all of them are good. So the Gemara says, if that's true, that we have to be choshish, all the bundles come from different suppliers, so then you have to check even the fourth bundle, even a fifth. Meaning, why are we saying three? It says, in, it says that in the end of the bride saw that you do the same for the second bundle and the third bundle. Well, it sounds like a fourth or fifth bundle not. So Bishlam, if you say that we're saying the bundles don't come from different people and we're establishing a pattern in the bundle, so it's good. But the problem is then you see the pattern is established on two, on three, not two. But now that we're saying really chazakas two, not three, and there is no chazaka to establish from bundles about the other bundles. So why are we saying that so too about the third bundle? It should be true about the fourth and fifth bundles as well. So the Gemara says in Achanami, you're right, really a fourth and fifth bundle also would have to be examined. Every single bundle has to be examined. And the way you examine it is by checking two tefillin. Once there's two kosher tefillin, from each bundle, then you know the rest of the bundle is good. So really, that would be established after two. The only reason Rav Kahana spoke about a third bundle was just to show that you can't use Chazaka. Because again, once Chazaka, we've said we're going like Rebbe Chazaka is two. And it's clearly that the price holds that way because we said checking two tefillin, we can establish the validity of the rest of the bundle. But now when I go about thinking about the rest of the bundles, then, then once I say that you have to check the third bundle, well then it's self-understood that you would have to check a fourth and a fifth bundle as well. And again, the understanding of why that is true is because there is no chazaka, there is no chazaka to establish about bundles because bundles, all the different bundles come from different suppliers. So you could establish the validity of one bundle itself by checking two tefillin based upon the principle of chazaka. But you cannot necessarily establish the, the, principle, the principle of, uh, of chazaka from one bundle over to another bundle. Okay, then we, now we move over to the next part of <coughs> uh, the mission. The mission said, so we found a bunch of them in, in, in like piles. So there's two different Lashonas here for piles. So my what's the difference? It just sounds like, you know, like synonym. Like what's the deal? They just mean a bunch of a bunch of tefillin. You're right. They're all the same. What's the difference? Tzvasim means that each pair is tied together and then all the pairs together are in one bundle. Bundles means that they're just bundled together but they're not necessarily tied together in individual pairs. But the point at all does not change. It's just two different terms of saying a bundles of tillin. Some of them is referring to a bundle where each one is tied together and then all of them are, are in one bundle. And, or the other one just means that they're all heaped together in one bundle. So what did the Mishnah say? There's too much to bring all. If you do you know, one by one or two by two, you wouldn't finish. So the din that the Mishnah said is that you have to stay with them until after Shabbos and then bring them in. So Mara says, Amai, why should you get with them after dark? What's wrong with bringing them pair by pair? What's the pshat? So the Gemara explains this is what's going on. It was explained to me by my father, whenever it be possible to bring in the tefillin pair by pair, you would finish before sunset. If you'd bring them one by one, you'd finish before Shabbos was over. Then the din is machnisan zigzog. It's worth it, the endeavor. You should try to bring them in pair by pair. Be low, but if it's not possible, meaning even if you're going to be busy trying to save one, one by one, you won't finish before the end of Shabbos. Then Mashwalimavin, just stay with them until dark and then uh, and then and then bring them in that way. So since anyways you're gonna have to come back after Shabbos to get the remaining ones, the Rabbanon would just say stay with them until afterwards and then bring them all. So you're not gonna be gaining any time. That's the point here. So there's no hatter. Normally wearing the tefillin is something that we're reluctant to say. We do it Latzarah Latzalah. <coughs> we'll do it Latzarah Latzalah. But that's all <coughs> if you could be finished on Shabbos. But once anyways you're gonna have to go back with more after Shabbos. Once anyways, you're going to have to go back for more after Shabbos. Then we say, you know what? Just wait till after Shabbos to save all of them. Okay. And then the Mishnah said the next part of the Mishnah, if it's very dangerous, you just cover them and leave. So what does it mean? 
says in another price of a sakana when it's dangerous, what do you do? You, 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 you carry them less than four amos at a time. As long as you're doing it, you're not doing it dorai. So as long as you stop within every four amos and you, and you start and then stop within four amos again and again, so then you wouldn't, you wouldn't be over on, um, on caring. So which one is it? The Armisha says in the time of danger, you cover them and leave. The Brysa says in the time of danger, uh, you carry them less than four hours at a time. So I'm a rab, low kasha. Oh, the mission was talking about when the Goyim answered wearing tefillin, so the Goyim might kill somebody. If they suspect you're wearing tefillin, they might kill you. So then the mission says, just cover the tefillin. In other words, you don't want you carrying it. It could be dangerous, but um, you don't want it to be left in disgrace. So you cover it and, uh, and then you leave because you don't want to get caught and, and get it killed. But the bride was talking about when you're scared of listim on the road, people, you know, like um, people who stay on the highway. So, so in that situation, if you'll be scared, if you, if you would remain there, you're scared you might get attacked on the road. So then you don't have to stop with the, you don't have to stay with the tefillin until after Shabbos. If you're concerned that, that someone's going to attack you where you are, again, not like, you know, someone's going to, not a fear of life for, 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 for wearing tefillin, but stop. Somebody's, you're scared that, that there's someone there on the highway that would attack you. If you stay there, then you leave with the tefillin with the special method of carrying it less than four amos at a time. So the mission, which was saying you cover it, is talking about when there's a sakana that the guy might kill you if they, if they suspect you're wearing tefillin. So then you just cover them and you go home. Uh, uh, in, in, in a case where you're, where you're just concerned that the, the highway guys might attack you if you stay, if you stay, if you stay with the tefillin until after Shabbos, then you can bring them less than four amos at a time. So the Gemara asks, "Amar Abaye, but my question was: Is in Hadju established a case of our Mishnah of a Sakana? So we call of a Golulim. We're talking about a case of danger that's established by the Goyim. You know, saying that anyone who wears tefillin will get killed. If that's true, he must say for what about the end of the Mishnah? Shimon said, if there are many pairs of tefillin in the field, instead of covering them, what did Reb Shimon say? That you give them to every person. So in other words, you make sure that no one person is doing the, the malacha. Everybody's just helping in like a human assembly line, one by one. So how could Reb Shimon say that makes sense? Koshing and Dabshim Milsa, it's going to attract even more attention. Everybody's busy saving the tefillin. You have a whole human assembly line. That doesn't make sense. That's not good advice. If this is a time when the guy are saying that we're going to kill anybody who we suspect of doing tefillin, why in the world would Rabbi Shimon be advocating for such, for such a thing? It's definitely going to attract attention and uh, could danger people's lives. Umar says, you're right. The Mishnah is missing words and this is what it's saying. When is it true that you should just cover the tefillin and leave? That's all. That's all we're scared that the guy might kill anyone who's suspected of wearing tefillin. But in contrast, if the danger is just that, uh, of the highway people who might attack, then the thing is different. You just carry all the tefillin by, by walking less than four amos at a time. That was Reb Shimon. And, Reb Sh- uh, that, and, 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 and that's what the Tanakhama was saying. And on that, Reb Shimon is saying is that in that case where you're carrying them home, because the Sakonis listen, you know what? Instead of saying, instead of saying, Pachas, Pachas, me, Arba, it makes sense that you just give it to your friend and your friend to your friend. So Reb Shimon and the Rabbanos are arguing about any case of Sakonis listen, what's the better method? Is the better method to carry less than four hours at a time, or is it to make a human assembly line and give it to one to person <coughs> and one to the next person? And the Gemara now speaks out, but again, obviously, if it would be Sakonis to Falshas, where the guy might execute people who they suspect of wearing filling, then. You don't, you don't move them at all. You just cover them and you leave. Now the Gemara analyzes this dispute when it's a Sakonis listim, whether you walk less than four hours at a time or whether you give them one friend to the other. The Gemara says, but Mike and the what's the root of the Machlokas? What's the issue between the Tanakam and Rav Shimon? Mar, Salva, Tanakam holds, Pachos, Rabba, Amos, Adif, walking less than four hours at a time is better. Because if you say, giving the tone to a friend and a friend to another friend, Avshim, most of the Shabbos, it's disrespectful for Shabbos because everybody sees, you know, we're doing things 
on Shabbos, which we don't normally do. It's more disrespectful to have more people involved. When Marisol, Reb Shimon says, it's better to give it to the friend, to the friend, the assembly line. If you say the other method, to give the tefillin by walking less than four amas at a time, you might not realize, you might come to carry the tefillin four amas from Rishos Rabbim, which would be in Isra Daraisa. So therefore it's better, so therefore we say that it's better to, um, it's better to, to, to make the human assembly line than it is to trust that you're going to walk four amas and not continue to walk more. Then the Mishnah said, the next part of the Mishnah, so too with the kid. So what does it mean, so too with the kid? Why is there a kid outside in the field? So it sounds like you're, you're transporting the kid with the same thing from person to person. So why, and instead of you know, one person carrying him in and doing the malachas, you transfer person to person where, where no one, one person is doing the malachas. But the Gemara is like, what's the case? What's the scenario where the kid's in the field? So it's Menashe Tana, instead of in the Yeshiva of Menashe, the cases that the mother gave birth to him in the field. So it's difficult for the, it's not good for the kid to remain outside until the end of Shabbos. We need to transport him in. And that's what we're saying, that you make a human assembly. What does it mean even if there are 100? It means even though it's not good for the kid to be passed from hand to hand, it's not healthy. For so many pairs of hands to handle the kid, it's still better because it, we want to make sure that there's no Chil Shabbos. We want to make sure that no one's really carrying the kid for almost. So therefore, it's better to do the human assembly line where everybody's carrying the kids. Um, <coughs> we want to make sure that that happens as opposed to running the risk that one person will, uh, will violate shots. Continues the mission. Then we had Rabbi So if someone had a barrel uh, and there was water inside the barrel, he gives it to his friend, his friend to his friend. And then even if it gets beyond, the Rebuda said, even if it goes outside the throne, you can still do that. So here, it sounds like we need desperately to get water in. But the water, the issue is that it might be going beyond the owner's tum. So Rabbi Yudah is saying that no one person carries the barrel, but he passes the barrel from one person to another until it gets to what the person it needs. The Gemara says, how could it be? But let's say Rabbi Yudah, doesn't Rabbi Yudah hold the din that, that, that utensils also are bound to the din of tum? Animals and utensils have the same din of the owner. Just as the owner can't move more than 2,000 amos, so too things that he owns uh, can't move more than 2,000 amos. So... Why is Rebuda allowing this to happen? Why is Rebuda allowing the barrel to be transferred if, if it's going to end up moving outside the tomb? It should be forbidden. So the Gemara answers, We're pouring the water from one barrel to another. So the first person is, uh, is carrying the barrel till the edge of his tomb, and then he's pouring the water into another barrel that belongs to somebody else who's carrying to the edge of his tomb. So therefore, I make sure that it's only none of the barrels are transferring. So it's only the water which is moving. Now, why is that not a problem? Very good, the barrels aren't moving, but why isn't it a problem that the water itself is moving? The answer is consistent from where he sells elsewhere. The Amar, my main, my mamish. Water isn't like viewed as nothing. It's, 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 there's no substance to it. So there's no din of tchum by, by water. The water could be moved outside the tchum of the original owner. It's only something significant that cannot be moved. But water, we don't have that problem. So as long as the barrels aren't being moved, we don't have a problem with the water. Where do we see this? Not it says in the Mishnah, Rita puts her mind. Rita says that water is not a problem with the owner's club, because there's no substance to water. So in the case, if it's really only the water that's leaving the club, my, what did it mean when the abundant said to Rita, lo that this barrel shouldn't go more? It means the barrel isn't moving, but what's inside the barrel shouldn't go further. Meaning the Rabbanon's objection is that they hold that tom is true even on water. So therefore they said, not only do we have to make sure that the barrel doesn't move, but even what's inside the barrel, we have to make sure it doesn't move more than the feet of the owner. That was the Rabbanon's objection. But Yudah's opinion is that it's not a problem. As long as it's only what's inside the barrel, not the barrels themselves, then we don't have an issue because again, Rabbi position is that Mayim in the hem, there's no substance to water. So it's not a problem if it moves more than the tron. 
So the Gemara asks, where do we find this idea of Rabbi Yudah saying, was absorbed into the dough. So this is the case. The case was where somebody mixed water into dough, we don't say that that dough now has the restriction of the tchum of the original owner of the water. Because since the water now is kind of like bottle, it just goes, it's absorbed into the dough. So we don't see the water as existing. It's not, it's its own thing. So we don't have to worry about the tchum of the water. <coughs> there, that makes sense. It's not where the water is still banned in its own form. Like here in a case where you have a barrel of water. So the water is water. So why shouldn't water be subject to the din of tchum? Misha, honestly, do we ever hear that water has no substance? And the Gemara even says more. Rabbi says even a pot of cooked food, the water in the pot, the gravy isn't nullified to the other food. Meaning, let's say one, meaning let's say one person is cooking something in somebody else's water. So you have to make sure now that uh, you know a chicken in, in some sauce. So the sauce is, so, is still subject to the tchum restriction of whoever owned the water. So they nayu badly. Then what are we going to say when the water is distinct in its own thing? It's bottle, and we show where we find this distinction. The Tanya says it arises. Water and salt that go into dough become bottle. You don't have to worry about the tchum of the original owner of the water and salt. You only have to worry about the dough. They look there, but they're not nullified in a pot of cooked food. Maybe it's because of the gravy. So if one person pours water into chicken and then they cook the chicken on yantiv. You have to worry about transporting that chicken with the gravy outside of the tchum of the original owner of the water because the water is still here. Rabbi only said it's bottle, the water is bottle when it goes into dough and it's absorbed into dough. So we totally lost our pshat for over here. Over here, we're trying to understand that you can move the water or the barrel of the water outside the tchum. So we answered that you're not moving the barrel outside the tchum, you're just moving the water, but that doesn't help us at all because the water, right, it should also be a problem moving outside the tchum. The only time that Rabbi says moving water outside the tchum is not a problem is when it's absorbed into something else. So the Gemara says, She's talking about the barrel that acquired Shvisa with the Tchum of the owner. But the water wasn't owned by the person when Shabbos started. We're talking about water which was ownerless and it was drawn on Shabbos. So, so you don't have a problem. And, and not only is it not a problem to move the water because the water didn't have an owner when Shabbos began, but, but it, so, it, so it's not owned. But even moving the barrel is not a problem. Why? The significance of the barrel is, is, is bottled to the water, meaning with you, it's not you're moving the barrel outside the tomb. You're moving the water. The water is the contents. The barrel just goes wherever the water is. And therefore, it's mutter to move even the barrel outside of the tomb. So now we're saying, Mamash, opposite kind of far. Here, you're moving the barrel, and the water is, is, it wasn't owned. So there's no tchum of the water. And once you're allowed to move the water, then the barrel can be moved as well. It's not like we see in the Mishnah that an item holding something is bottled to the contents. We see in the Mishnah, Motzi v'chayi v'mita. If somebody carries out a live person in a bed and just around, potter, they're potter. Not only are they potter for carrying out the person because chayi no seis asmo, there's a principle that carrying out live weight you're not chayi for, but you're potter even though they were in a bed. You're part of the bed. Because the bed is, is just an accessory to the person. So just as the bed is just an accessory to the person. And you're potter for carrying out the bed in that case. So to here, really you're just carrying out the water. The barrel is just holding the water. So if, you, if the water is not subject to tchum because it was ownerless, so so too the barrel is not a problem. Similarly, someone who carries out food, less than the amount that we have, meaning not such a significant amount of food, but it was in a kli. So your potter, because you didn't carry out a significant amount of food, and your potter, even for the fact that you carried the kli. What's the reason? You should be chayv out the kli. The answer is, the same thing, the vessel, the kli, is just an accessory to the food. So if the, you're not chayv for carrying out the food, you don't have to worry about, about, the, about the kli either. So to our Mishnah, since the water could go out because it was drawn on Shabbos, uh, so it doesn't have the subject of, uh, it's not subject to the Isra Tchum, it wasn't owned before Shabbos, so to the barrel, can go outside. It says the Gemara, Master Rabbi Yosef, Yosef asked him to from the rice. It says in Rice, Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Yosef, in the case of a caravan, so caravan, we have to make you know, a special exception. They, they camp in an open field, they don't have water. 
So what's the din? So it says, A person can pass a bear out to his friend, and his friend to another friend. There we can do this to go outside the tomb. But Bishyar in, it's only Mashma for a caravan, because caravan, they desperately need water at special times. But if it's not a case of a caravan, it's not lenient. So why is Rabbi Yudah over here lenient? Stam in our Mishnah to pass the barrel of water from outside, from outside, outside the tomb, from one to the other, one person to the other. How is Rabbi Yudah allowed to be lenient if we see that he's only, he only normally says that in the case of a caravan? But if it's not in the case of a caravan, he's not lenient. So why over here is Rabbi Yudah being lenient? So the Gemara says, You have to say that Rabbi Yudha, when he said in our mission, was also only talking about a shiara. And there we can understand that why we're leaning. Once we say we're talking about a shiara, since they desperately need the water, so it could be that the Rabbanon were mako to, on the laws of Tum. So you don't have to make the whole conversation that we had. Can we, let's restart it according to Rabbi Yosef, right? The question was, how is Rabbi Yudha allowing to pass the barrel of people and, and what about the issue of Tum? The answer is we're talking about a shiara caravan. They desperately need water. According to Rabbi Yudha, the rabbis relaxed the standard of Tum for the issue of the caravan. But the Gemara says, no, Abai tries to like, you know, defend himself. If it was a case of a caravan, even if the barrel was Konish Visa before and had the Tchum, and even if the water was Konish Visa, that Stam would be Mutter. That was the case of the Brisa. The Brisa was saying that it's Mutter only for a caravan if the water was Konish Visa. If it's not a caravan, if it's a regular person, then we say, if the barrel was Konish Visa, but the, as long as the water didn't, you could still be, you could still be Mako. Because since the water wasn't Konish Visa, it was ownerless, and the barrel is toppled to the water, then it's not a problem. So now everything makes sense. The saw was talking about a caravan, was talking about water that was Konish Visa. Ordinarily, we'd be Machmer. We're being Mako only because of the fact that it's a caravan. But in a case where it's not a caravan, since the water was Konish Visa, it would be Asr. The mission was talking about a case of not a caravan and water which was not Konish Visa. And the mission was being Chadash, that according to Rav Yudah, you don't have a problem with moving the water in the barrel because the barrel is bottled to the water. Now Ravashi gives one final explanation. We're dealing with the ownerless barrel. The barrel also didn't have, didn't have a tchum. And also the water that was drawn was, was ownerless. So there's no tchum. So Rav Yudah is saying that an ownerless object doesn't have any tchum of its own. Ownerless objects, you don't have any problems. So therefore, just move both the water and the barrel. Remind Amrilo, who is the dissenting view that the Mishnah, in the Mishnah that holds its author? Meaning, why would anyone not let this then? If this is a case where, if this is a case where, where, um, where, where they're both ownerless, then what's the, what's the objection at all? So the answer is, the objecting view is he has that even ownerless objects get their own shvisa. That's the machlokas in general by tchum, if ownerless objects have tchum. So the, the Rabbanon held that ownerless objects do, so you can't move the barrel of the water even if they were ownerless. But uh, according to Rabbi the ownerless objects don't have a problem. So therefore, if we're talking about an ownerless barrel and ownerless water, then there's no issue of tchum. So what's the mission of saying it shouldn't move more than the feet of the owner? If we're talking about ownerless barrel and ownerless water, how could there be an owner? So the Gemara says that you're right. The mission we say, the water in the barrel shouldn't go, more than Caleb that have owners. Meaning, just like in a case of owners, they can't move more than 2,000, more than 2,000 amas. So too here, even if they don't have owners, it can't move more than 2,000 amas. So that's the, according to Rav Ashi, we're talking about totally ownerless barrel, totally ownerless water. And what we're saying actually, what we're saying actually is that the machlokas between the two is whether or not we say uh, that an ownerless 
stuff is an issue of tchum whatsoever. One opinion says yes, one opinion says no. That's the machlokas uh, between them. So to summarize, we end up having a bunch of different opinions here. The machlokas reviewed in the Rabbana Ravashi saying we're talking about totally ownerless things. Abai was saying that we're talking about that the water was ownerless but the barrel but wasn't and the machlokas is if the, if the barrel is bottled to the water. And the other ways that it could be we're talking about a caravan and the machlokas is tam, whether the rabbis uh, uh, were lenient in the law of tchum for the tzorech of the caravan.